Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Kurt, that blue sweater is awesome, man. <laughs> Listen, that if you're... cobalt blue. Yes. If you are, if, if you are just listening, uh, um, welcome. If you are... If you are like a few, few, few brave souls that are actually watching us on YouTube, you get to see the many stylings and fashion flair of Dr. Kurt Thompson. I take most of my fashion advice from Oh, my Kurt. God. Oh, I've I'm learned. So, if that, look, look, if that's true, I am so sorry. No. I, I need to get that cobalt blue. I do. Oh, it's like UK, but goodness. it's University of Kentucky blue or Kansas. No, 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 no. Yeah, it no. is. I'm sorry, but listen, hey, I'm sorry. No, really? I'm sorry, no, no, Ohio no, no, State. No, no, you no, are you no, are wearing no, 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 no. UK no, blue. This is cool. Wait, 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 wait. This is like I I know UK. Isn't I thought UK was navy. No. Was it like no? That, you're wearing no. UK blue right now. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I, my brother, my brother played for the University of Florida. And so we, we, I like, from the time I was like six, we knew that there was like, there were the good guys, there was smallpox <laughs> and there was UK, right? right? That's what, that's what we, they're, they're right. the good guys, yep. right? And then there was like, like, and then there was UK. Right. Yep. And. Yeah. And now you're, so I, and you now know. you're sporting the colors. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we are uh, we are here uh, in season four uh, of the Being Known podcast, and we decided to take on uh, a small subject this this particular <laughs> podcast season, um, just so that we can have as much levity as possible and just mm. just laugh our way through the season. We are um, we're talking about trauma, and mm. um, and today we are going to be talking about trauma and the mind. Mm. We have touched upon trauma a bit here and there in past seasons uh, on the podcast, but uh, we're kind of coming at it from a different angle. And I do recommend that you, uh, you don't have to, to be listening to this season, but those podcasts are sitting there for you to listen to. um, And there's a lot of great information in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just to highlight that when we talk about trauma, we're not talking about something abstract. Right. Um, We're talking about Something that exists in everyone's story to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of you all that are listening, uh, when I when, when we use the word trauma, you know exactly what we mean. You know exactly what it applies to. There are others who might be listening who might think, I don't really know if that word applies to anything in my life. I grew up in a, you know, you might say, as we'll get to later, you might say like, like you know, a loving Christian home. Mm-hmm. And... That may not be completely untrue, but it's, you know, we want to highlight that this, uh, we're not making light of this, um, that this is a sacred journey and one that we want to honor. And that over the course of time, we're also aware that our conversations might evoke things that are, for some people, um, things that you've known forever. Mm -hmm. For others, it may be an awakening to things that you... Uh, have never thought about before, have never reflected on. For some, you might be, as you listen, 
you might find yourself starting to feel a certain degree of discomfort and you don't even know where that discomfort is coming from. And we'll talk a little bit about that with, as far as the mind and then the brain and the body is over the, you know, today and the next couple of episodes. So when any of those kinds of things happen, especially if you find yourself feeling uncomfortable, we don't want you to be left alone with that. Right. Now, obviously we aren't, you know, this isn't a podcast that uh, has any intention of doing psychotherapy or counseling work you know, in real time here, we're not. Sometimes when you look at me in certain ways, I think you're <laughs> psychoanalyzing me, but that's a, that's a whole other, that's a whole other story. You know, that could just well, be I me. Mean, that says a lot more about I, me than it does about you. I realize you don't have to write that yeah. down. No, I, 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 well, I don't keep everything in your chart. I just, I, I just, <laughs> it's a thick there chart. Certain th- there are certain things already because, you know, you, you need to know that like if, if, if there was ever a lawsuit like if, if it's not in the chart, it didn't happen. So I'm, you know, <laughs> well, you know, save a tree. Don't write in my okay, chart. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like, we, we don't want folks to be left alone with this. And so we, uh, first thing I want to do, we, we want to encourage you to seek help mm-hmm. from a counselor, from a pastor. If you find yourself becoming so unsettled in any way, shape, or form that, um, you know, whatever we're talking about here isn't providing enough support, yeah, even as we talk about difficult things. And then um, to that end, there were some resources that we wanted people to know about. And uh, Pep, maybe you could just offer those. We've got some books for folks. Sure. So, about. you know, first of all, I think I'd want to mention, uh, Kurt, your, your three books, uh, The Anatomy of the Soul, The Soul of Shame, and your most recent one, The Soul of Desire. I think that's those all three offer great resources, uh, even though they aren't always talking directly to trauma. Mm-hmm. They are, there are wonderful parts in those books that will point you in the right direction and, um, and can be a, a great help. Then there's uh, The Body Keeps Score by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, this is a great book. This is uh, one that there's, there's about five out of the nine on this list that I've, I can actually say I've read, and this was one of them, and uh, I found it very helpful. We have, uh, also you've listed here, Suffering and the Heart of God by Diane Landberg, Healing Trauma by Peter Levine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and I'll say about, about that book in yeah, particular. That one I don't it's know. A, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a relatively short book. He gives you really concrete application immediately, and uh, it, 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 if, if they're still doing it, um, and if people still use these or have the technology to do it, they come with a DVD with a bunch of guided exercises oh, great. that people can use. So I'll yeah, look into that so. one. And then It yeah. Didn't Start With You by Mark Woolen, and uh, I loved this book too. I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about epigenetics before I read this book. It's a very approachable book. Um, the audio version is great too. I will say, uh, I actually, mm. I actually will say I listened to this book because I, I did it over the mm. summer and I was, uh, anyway, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's a really good book. He, I believe he read it himself. I'm, I'm about a hundred percent sure nice. that he read it himself. It's great. And then, uh, Try Softer by Andy Kolber. And I don't know that one either. Tell me about that. Yeah. Book. Andy's, Andy's a, uh, she, she's a therapist in Colorado mm-hmm. and, she has, I think, as as a number of really thoughtful, believing therapists have over the last decade, they've they've really kind of they've really stepped up and kind of immersed themselves in neuroscience training that has been really helpful. And so you've got a number of people that are out there now who are people of faith, 
who are finding ways to explore this integration of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. Uh, and Andy's one of them with TriSofter. It's a really lovely piece that I would mm. highly recommend. And I think the other thing that we'll... So we have, we have those resources. And then over time, of course, we will be talking more and more about the explicit nature of trauma eventually will, you know, and, and in, in particular settings and uh, what we do in psychotherapy settings, of course, again, we're not doing that here, but we are going to be talking about things like post-traumatic stress disorder. What is it about that? that what, what separates that from other forms of trauma? What it, you know, it's a diagnostic category, and we'll, we'll talk about that down the line. Um, and we'll also talk about different kinds of interventions that we'll salt and pepper throughout the course of our time more so in the second half of the season than we will in the first half of the season. But eventually, for, just for folks to know that as we talk about this, we want you to breathe easy, that we're going to be uh, you know, covering a lot of territory, but also wanting you to know that we're going to be mindful about caring for you, caring for us in the process of that. With that in mind, we really, uh, in, in thinking about how we approach this topic, we've, we've talked about definitions last in our last episode yeah. a little bit. And, and now we want to really just kind of wade into kind of particular entry points into trauma. So if we think about trauma as a house and we've got a number of different doors that we're going to enter into the house to explore it, this is one door that we're going to enter into. And we're going to begin, the first entry point that we're going to go into is through that of the mind. Because in many respects, when we talk about the mind in the lens of interpersonal neurobiology, we're really talking about the composite of who we are. And so we're going to start in today's episode with talking about trauma and the mind, and then we're going to follow that on with trauma and the brain and trauma and the body. Uh, not because these things are completely easily you know, separate categories, the mind, the brain, the body. They're all collected under one roof, as it were. They're all in the same house, as it is, but it gives us, uh, you know, it gives us a, a different way of entering into understanding our topic of trauma. And so we're going to start today with this, this notion of the mind. And the first thing that I'd like for us to do is just to have a review. You, you can go back and you can look at uh, earlier podcast episodes about this. We're just going to review some things about the mind very, very briefly. And so that we can have a picture and have a sense that when we're talking about trauma and the mind that we're getting introduced to, because we can have a sense of what the mind is, we're going to easily get a sense of what trauma does to it and what its effect is for us as we consider that. And so the first thing that we note about the mind is that it is an embodied and relational process. That's important. We talked about that in uh, previous episodes but this notion that my mind is not just my thinking brain, it is my brain, it is my body, it is all of these things. My mind includes because my nervous system connects all of this together. Now, certainly the brain is the central processing unit, as it were, where all that kind of centralizes and takes place. But my mind isn't just something that I think with. I sense, I image, I feel. But it involves my entire body, including the brain, but it also involves relationships. I am an embodied and relational process. And so we recognize that my mind emerges and develops and matures in the context of relationships. And so one of the first things we want to recognize is that when trauma affects my mind, it is going to affect my brain and my body. 
And all that that means, all those internal processes, what I'm sensing, imaging, feeling, thinking, all that, and it's also going to affect my relationships because trauma, typically, the reason, the reason that we, the reason, the reason that we, ex, that we encounter trauma in the way that we do. <laughs> can you imagine having me for a psychiatrist? No, I can't. I just can't. Like, no, that just, I don't know where that came from. That's just so off the chart. I'm just going to retreat into my cobalt blue sweater here. <laughs> Trauma necessarily is a function of the intimacy of relationships. You know, we can have a traumatic event that takes place. I can be in combat. I can get T-boned in an intersection and we think, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with relationship. That has to do with me in an automobile and driving. But as it turns out, how I respond to that is going to have everything to do with what has come before that accident and the relational interactions that I have after that accident that enable me to get back in the car and drive again. And so when the mind is T-boned, as we might say, by trauma, our body is affected, our relationships are affected. And we also want to suggest because we are people of faith, that trauma always involves the presence and activity of God. And when I say involves, I mean that God, the the biblical narrative would suggest that God is always present. Now, of course, the very nature of trauma has us having a hard time even imagining that God was around, let alone that he was active. And this is one of the things that we want to say, like, we're not just talking, you know, on this podcast, this Being Known podcast, we, we're we talking not just about a topic, we're talking about a topic in a context of a world that we believe we, that takes its shape from the biblical narrative. And that's a story in which God is always present, but the very nature of trauma itself, as we like to say, it doesn't just shatter my brain and my body and my relationships it also shatters my capacity to perceive them, including my capacity to perceive whether or not God is even around, let alone that he's up to doing anything about my trauma. So we want to say from the outset that we believe that God is present, but that trauma affects our perception of that presence. And then we like to talk about this notion of integration. So already we, we, we see like we, as, our, as we're listening, when we think about an event that has happened to you, if you imagine something that took place yesterday or something that took place when you were 10, we want you to be curious about, well, what was going on in my brain, in my body, in my relationships that was being fractured, separated? Because we then talk about how a mind that flourishes is one that is integrated. We've used before the orchestra metaphor. We have all these different functions of the mind that come together with the conductor. And that a full-on symphony, when it's playing well, is both differentiated. The different parts of the orchestra play their own part well, but they also have to come together and be linked. So we have differentiation and linkage in this complex system that the conductor helps to bring together, that middle prefrontal cortical activity that if it's going to work well, has to go to conductor school. I have to have a relational interaction that helps that develop so that the different parts of my mind can come together. And trauma does things that affects the conductor and it affects the different parts of the orchestra. They can't link to each other. I love the orchestra metaphor. There was a, I saw a video the other day where there was an orchestra playing and a um, guy that was playing the, 
I don't know the the drum, the timpani, uh, the timpani. He yeah. he, you know, he had one job, right? He lets fire, boom. <laughs> the drum, the, the uh, drumstick flies out of his hand, hits the hits the cello player next to him, knocks her over. <laughs> she gets up and walks out. So the trauma, the lack of integration in the orchestra, everything was right. you know. Because of that right. one drummer, everything was everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. Right. Well, I mean, I think uh, we got to find a way to post that because <laughs> to look for it. Amy, because that's exactly it. what we're, because that's what we're thinking. That's what we're talking about, right? right? We can have one aspect of our mind that is affected by something, right? But there is a ripple effect throughout the orchestra. Yep, it happens. Yeah, and that 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 effect that when when we are when we have experienced these moments remember this this moment this trauma of either being being overwhelmed and being unable to have agency to do anything about it we can have these reactions because our uh, you know a flourishing mind an integrated mind a symphony that's playing well a symphony where the percussionist is like holding steadily onto his drumsticks right okay we would say that that is a symphony that has reached complexity, maximum complexity, because they're differentiated and linked. And they, you know, they reach this status of that my friend Dan Siegel likes to talk about this acronym FACES, that they are flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable. And it's this middle-of-the-road river, this middle river that's between these two Mm -hmm. banks of rigidity and chaos. And we also like to say that this faces, if you will, flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable. This is a state of complexity that our minds reach in particular through the role of attachment. And attachment is this mediating feature. And trauma disrupts attachment in a particular way. And so we also have to consider that like trauma doesn't just happen to my brain. Trauma happens to a process, this process of attachment that I have. In order for me to flourish, I have to have secure attachment in the world and that secure attachment can be affected by trauma. We talk about secure attachment being represented by contingent communication, right? That the newborn and the infant is communicating contingently. They depend upon what the adult is doing. This never stops. It's We're communicating contingently. I say something, but like I'm looking for a response from you and vice versa. And then there's a reflective dialogue that takes place as our children start to age and have language parents can introduce to them curiosity. Well, tell me what you're feeling. Oh, I'm curious. Like, what is it that you have there? What what do you want? These kinds of, and oh God, tell me what you imagine is going on in your brother's mind when you pinched him. Right. (laughs) Like, I don't know, but I know that I felt good about it. You know, I'm like, I know what's going on in my mind when I pinched my brother. But then along with contingent communication and reflective dialogue, we need the repair of ruptures, right? Secure attachment doesn't mean that there's never any conflict or never problem. There's no, there's never any fights. It doesn't mean that. It means that when we have these things, that we repair those ruptures. And then that we have emotional communication, this sense that like when my child is having joy, I want to amplify that. I want to support that. I want to strengthen that. And that when my child is experiencing something negative, something that's distressing, I want to be empathic with that and I want to share that and soothe that. But it doesn't mean, therefore, I'm soothing my child's distress just to give them what they want. I want to be connected to them even if I have to set limits with them. And this highlights this power of presence. Like we're, our, our very presence is the antidote 
an attuned presence is the antidote to trauma in the end. We're going to come back to this over and over and over again. This attuned presence from God is the thing that we have a hard time imagining is even around because of trauma. It keeps us from being able to sense and see and feel God's attuned, delighted presence. And I think you kind of have a catch-22 because, you know, if you're traumatized, if you had unhealed, uh, untouched trauma, you've got the shattered lens, there's a lot of times shame and discomfort and times where we don't really want or know how to get that presence with people, how to, you know, um, so, so it's the most needed thing. Mm -hmm. And yet there are uh, lots of obstacles and, you know, it requires a certain amount of bravery, I think, to, uh, to look for it and go after it. It does. Yeah, it does. And we've here on this podcast, we've occasionally use this metaphor of what happens if you have a near drowning event as a kid. And like the safest thing to do is I just never go back to the pool. Right. But then all my friends want to have a party at the pool and they want me to be there. And they they might even want like the party to be in my honor, but they want me to be like, it's at the pool party. And like, I'm going to need help. So that bravery, I need help. Somebody like come to my house and get me just to the pool, let alone sit with me on the edge of the pool let alone get my foot in the pool and so forth and so on. It does take a great deal of bravery. And, and, and we want to acknowledge that, that this is hard. This is painful. Yeah. And at the same time, there is no other way for healing. You can't read about healing of trauma on the internet and expect it to happen. Hmm. It's going to happen because we develop these things that we've just described, that we develop this contingent communication, reflective dialogue, repair, ruptures, emotional communication, in order for our narrative to become more coherent. By coherent, meaning I'm telling the whole story, the story more truly, which includes, it it doesn't just stop with, I nearly drowned, the pool is dangerous, I can never go back. I got burned in a relationship, the relationship was awful, I, I will never have a relationship with men again. My father was a brutal alcoholic. My uncle sexually abused me. Uh, the pastor is a narcissist that I've been working for for five years. Uh, like all, the, you know, my bosses, my, 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 my spouse, my, all the things that have us telling stories that are incoherent, that are fraught where the trauma has the last word. And in order for us to tell a different story, we have to work back through the relationships that speak to these parts of the mind that had been disintegrated. Hmm. One of the most important things that we pay attention to here then is the place and power of emotion because it's the fuel for the tank and it's accompanied by the story that we are telling with and without words. So this gasoline, these things that I sense, all this energy that is what we call emotion is part of how we are starting to recognize what trauma is and where its limits are and how it disintegrates us. It's also important for us to bear in mind that we are talking about this again. We're going to talk about this in light of Genesis chapter one, chapters 1 through 3. That we can talk about trauma in isolation as this abstract thing out here. But the reason that we're talking about it at all, Pepper is because we believe in a different story. 
We believe in, we, we can talk about trauma because we have another story that's coming for it. We have another story that we read about in Genesis 1 through 3, and at first glance, it's like, gosh, you know, all this goodness and beauty that gets created in the first two chapters, and the first couple are standing on the precipice of, you know, grand generativity and creativity and beauty, and then they're like, all this stuff happens in Genesis 3 where the trauma takes place. But what we want to say is like, that's, we, we can talk about that. That's where it's grounded because there's more to it that's coming. More to it that's coming. You know, we, uh, we've just, you know, we've, it's been a quick review of, of the mind and, and not in a great deal of detail, but I think our, you all are familiar. If you've been listening to this podcast, you're familiar with some of these terms and you can go back and listen to the more detailed episodes that we have. But one of the things that we have been saying is that trauma tends to disintegrate us. And there's a disconnection. What I like to say is there's a disconnection within and between domains of experience. So a little while back, I'm, uh, in a, I'm in a, a gathering of people who are there to talk about my book, about the, the, you know, the soul of desire. Mm-hmm. It was a great conversation, and you know there were a, a, a number of people, people that some of whom I knew and some of whom I didn't know, but I knew of them. They were, and I, you know, a number of people had really, you know, thoughtful, wonderful things to say. And then there was one person who had some things to say that I like. I, I believe that they were they they were in in good faith, uh, really just wanting to point some things out that they had that they had some questions about. And and so I don't I don't. Uh, it had, it had a lot more to do with kind of like the nature of how their observations were delivered to me. Mm-hmm. And the way I heard it was uh, I felt much more like a critique. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, I, and I remember we're, we're in the middle of this. And, and, and I know that these, these, are, these are all really fine. They're, they're lovely people. Uh, but, uh, you know, the vast majority of them, had all these lovely things to say. And then there were, you know, a couple that had other things to say that, that felt very different in their tone. Um, and I think that they were, you know, the, the questions that they raised and so forth were, they were reasonable questions, but the tone kept, and w- what was so striking to me was that in the middle of this really lovely time, like you're just going along, I'm thinking there to have a conversation about my book and this felt sense of being blindsided. So this is one of the things that trauma does. Like, it's like, if you, if you knew exactly what was coming, you, you would know either A, I'm going to be fully protected for this thing that's coming, right? If I know what it's going to be like to run over an IED, mm-hmm. I'm going to build a different kind of tank. I'm going to have a different kind of armor. Like I'm, I'm going to be fully, if I, if I know. If I knew that Phyllis and I were going to have that kind of a conversation, you know, right before we were planning on like having some intimate time and then now we're not having intimate time because like we're like, if I knew all that in advance, you know, you prepare differently or you don't go, right? You just don't, you just don't go there. You tell her you like the fish. That's right. <laughs> it's the best fish I've ever had. Whatever you want, honey. Yes. Whatever you want. Yeah. But so, there's a certain blindsiding. Right. Yeah. And suddenly, and, and it doesn't even have to, it doesn't even have to be like a major thing. Like I'm in this, and suddenly like, I can't, I'm like, I'm suddenly like, my, my, my thinking is muddled. 
And like, I started to feel it like in my head, in my chest, my mouth got dry. Like I could Ugh. feel my heart rate starting to come up. Right. And, and then not only, not only that, but like, I, I felt this sense of suddenly, like I'm like completely disconnected from the person who's speaking. But not only that, I also felt a disconnection from everybody else in the conversation Despite the fact that they had had all these wonderful, lovely things to say. Right. And I'm guessing that all of the lovely, wonderful accolades and things that were said about you and your book just kind of disappeared. Disappeared into the fog. And you hear this critical voice that's coming at you. Right. And that's all you hear. Right. And I want to highlight here, I'm, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not even blaming right. like the process right. or what this person said or whatever. I'm not, it's, I'm right. just like, this is, this is my experience. And so there's the immediate effect of like, like you just said, like, you know, we like to say like shame is like Velcro and joy is like Teflon, right? Like I can't, I can't, it won't stick to me. Shame sticks to me like Velcro, right? it's, it's just there. And so like, I don't pay any attention to the joy. I only pay attention to like, I'm, you know, I, I must, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And so there's the immediate effect that all I'm paying attention to is the shame, but then there's the longer term effect that like, so this thing wraps up and we're all done. And like for a couple of weeks, my mind is repeatedly returning to this thing over and over and over again. And so the trauma, and again, as, as you all are listening to this, like you recognize like this is, this is not combat. Right. You know, I, I have not been, I have not been, uh, you know, sexually assaulted here. But it is a microcosm of the kinds of things that we have, that there is this lingering. There's the immediate effect, then there's the lingering, disintegrating effect. And then it moves me to either extreme of chaos or rigidity. As we were saying before, this severe fluctuations from one to the other. From, like, rigidity, this sense of, like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, like, you, you just kind of, like, you feel like, I, I feel like collapsing in my mind. Swinging to the other side where I'm thinking, like, I'm like, I want to hurt this person. I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like out of, like, it just, you know, and like, this is how I'm going to react to this, this, right? Neither of which are very helpful postures. And again, this is just a minor, when I say minor example, this is an example of like what we, what we end up doing with, with, with each other sometimes. And this, this sense that we've got this shameful extreme of chaos for me. And because like my sense is that, you know, somehow in this setting, people have heard this critique and now they're going to find out about it and they're going to tell their neighbors and their friends and I will be catastrophically publicly humiliated. Like somehow, like it goes to like, I'm going to be in the post tomorrow morning. Right. Don't, 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 don't just don't, don't buy his book. Right. Like, like he like, don't ever go to see him again. Like, you know, these are the things that, you know, and, and one, one could say like, well, gosh, Kurt, if you had, you know, if you'd known this was coming, yeah. Or if you have these kinds of conversations on a regular basis, you get used to these kinds of things. But relationally, this is not how it works for us. Trauma repeats itself. It, it happens, and then it repeats itself in our own mind. And we think, like, what could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? I should have come prepared with a different way to have a conversation. All these things. We can remain in these places for extended periods of time, our mind in disintegrated states. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that I only remain there because like, no, I could, I, you know, I was able to go to work and like, I, I wasn't just consumed with this. Right. But, you know, if somebody would say, well, hey, Kurt, like, um, how are, how are, like, how's, how's it going with the book? Immediately, I'm thinking of this conversation. 
So these things can be, the entire experience can be reactivated anytime we find ourselves in what feels like a familiar situation, even though we can go on. So this is why it is that like we then begin to tell ourselves stories about this, which we'll, you know, we'll also get to as we talk more and more about narratives and like, it's not just the thing that happens to us, but then we have to somehow make sense of what we have sensed. And the way we make sense of it includes our telling of a story about what happened. I should have written the entire book differently. I should, I'm not that good of an author. I'm not all like, this is the story that this is, it's not just a thing that I feel. It works its way into the narrative that I begin to tell about myself yeah, I, I, about the world at large. You know, I think that it's relatable. I mean, I think that that anytime anybody, anytime in any parts of your life where you put yourself out there, you're opening yourself up to this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's so interesting that we, and your illustration that that we, um, the negative has so sticks to mm-hmm. us so much more yeah. than the joy. I think that you know that. I know for, you know, like, you know, I've been uh, reviewed in, diff, you know, for television stuff mm. or theater mm. or everything. And, mm. and the theater, we just, you know, the, my teaching was don't read it. Don't read it. If it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's going to affect your performance. But, you know, I, I, the, I can, no matter how many great things that I've, that I have read over the years about that work that I was doing at the time, there, I still, there was one review where I was called a Gomer Pyle wannabe. In something. Oh, my god! In, gosh. like, USA Today, right? So it wasn't, you know, so everybody's seeing it. Oh, my and goodness. I, you know, so, and I still remember it, right? I still. Of course. And I, I say those words, and I still, like, I, I flush a little bit from, from what I felt then. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a interesting, interesting phenomenon that we, I don't remember any, I can't quote you anything that was, you know, a positive review that I had over the years, but that one is right on the tip of my tongue. Right. It's just, um, it, it, it's just, uh, stunning to me how deeply embedded those traumatic moments remain, Mm -hmm. how quickly we can access them and how powerfully they shape the narrative that we tell ourselves at any given moment. Like you could have that review, years can go by, and your life can be an expression of everything other than what that review says. And all that has to happen is something triggers a memory of that review, right. and it's as if the last 10 years never happened. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. So we, we talk about how the healing of the mind and uh, we, we, we really want you to, uh, our, our listeners, to take heart with this, that the healing and recommissioning of the mind includes then new neural formation. We don't just, like, fix a broken axle and hope the thing holds. We are not just reintegrating old things, but the creation of new connections is what we think about when we think about the healing of trauma. And that includes accessing and practicing healthy attachment processes along the way, including other activities and interventions that we're going to talk about in some detail as we move forward. But we think about if if you're hearing this and you're discovering that there's some things in your life that are uh, being evoked, even as we're talking today, 
we would want you to think about reaching out for psychotherapy for a counselor. We would want you to think who are the friends that you can begin to talk with. Friendships are a place where this new attachment can take place. Community at large, like where are the community spaces that you live in where that those community members can become places of reception, places where your story can be told more effectively. And then, as we've often said, we really are quite bullish about beauty. Hmm. And that uh, when we are willing to, as we you know talk so often in last season's episodes, put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty on a regular basis, beauty has a way to kind of strengthen and ballast the parts of us that feel broken. Can I just say, so yeah, just go. a really quick aside, um, I went over, I stopped over to my uh, my mom's house yes, uh, yesterday because we had some bad weather coming in. I wanted to make sure that she had everything that she, you know, that she needed. And, and um, she said, come here, I want to show you something. And so we went upstairs and my, my dad used to have this, or had this room uh, that he used to use. And it had, he was, you know, did all kinds of different hobbyists, you know, things and, and stuff. Anyway, she found uh, his some of his books on art, and so she started painting this week. <gasps> She's 90 years old, and she won't be upset with me for telling you that. Um, and there was such beauty in what she's doing in the very first time that she's she was – it was uh, just these reeds with little plumes – and uh, absolutely gorgeous, and to see her lighting up and talking about talking to me about this process of her, you know, how much she enjoyed doing this, how she's never in her life done anything like this. Wow. And I just want to say that because I know there's people that are listening that think, what kind of beauty can I create? You know, mm-hmm. what kind of things, you know, I'm not an artist. I'm not, you know, I don't have... Those are excuses that just don't work mm-hmm, because right. there is beauty that you can create. And I'm not saying you have to right. paint or yet whatever, but there are things that you can do that are beautiful. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, this highlights something, Pepper, I, that um, when it comes to our encounters with trauma and then the healing of it, you know, sometimes we can be that, that whole notion of being overwhelmed and having a sense that I have no agency by definition uh, there is a sense in which, okay, I'm overwhelmed. I have no agency. There is nothing literally that I can do even about my healing. And what we want to point out is that I may feel a lack of agency about the particulars of my traumatic events, but it's not as if I have no agency whatsoever. So I do have agency to pick up a phone and call a counselor. Mm-hmm. I do have agency to begin to paint I do have agency to walk out of my front door and provided that there's still enough snow on top of the eight inches of ice that's in your front yard, go for a walk and encounter without falling and breaking my hip and now creating another traumatic event. Sure. Um, but I, I think I, I just want to highlight that this, this does require effort. This does require a willingness. There is a certain amount of work, a faith trust in a relationship that is going to lead us to healing is going to necessarily require effort and work. And so at some point, like your mom had to cross a threshold, 
Like she didn't start this when she was 80 or 70 or 60. At some point she decided I'm going to do this. And now's the time. And it's inspiring to me. Isn't it? And I think it, yeah. And I think it also highlights it's never too late. Right. It is never too late. No. The last thing we just want to mention, I, I, I you know, we, we highlighted this earlier before that emotion plays such a crucial role in the process of trauma. And we want to keep the healing power of emotion in mind. You know, there is a bit of a pun, yes, as we're talking about the mind. We want to keep that in mind because we want our listeners to be increasingly able to pay attention to what they are feeling. So this whole notion of attunement and attention leads us right into our exercise. Great. That we want to talk about for the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. And so um, explicitly, one thing that I would recommend, it's going to take a little time, but you could review in our first season, our first season's podcast, you have episodes six, seven, and eight that are a good review about what the mind is and some of the details that we get down into the nitty gritty of that. That was particularly good in episode seven, I think, from what I remember. I have no right. idea. <laughs> that was, a, I think, I think in episode, yeah, because that, they didn't write about that in USA Today. That no, was a different right. episode that they were writing about. <laughs> right. Ouch. Yeah. 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 And so, because what we want you to do is to become increasingly observant. We want to observe. We, we talked in an earlier episode about this notion of the tripod of awareness. This, mm-hmm. if, if we have a tripod with a camera that's looking at your life, we see your life put on the screen, all those things that are taking place inside and outside your skin, it stands on those three legs, this tripod. One leg is I want to be open to what I'm sensing, imaging, feeling, thinking. And so we want to invite you to reflect and write about when you've had if you've had any kind of a minor traumatic event, it could be like this week, or it could have been 10 years ago. And it doesn't have to be a major one, just a minor one even. And how you've responded, like is your response more likely to move to one of chaos, where things feel like out of control, or rigidity? I'm just going to clamp down and this is how I'm going to respond. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to go back to any, 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 more, any, any more conversations about my book. I'm just going to you know, prevent this from happening. And that whole notion of like moving back and forth, again, we're inviting you to be open to and to observe. I want you to observe this without condemnation, right? Because sometimes like I can have a reaction to my trauma and then I am upset about my reaction and the whole thing just snowballs. So reflecting on what your response is and whether or not chaos or rigidity or both seems to be the direction that you often go. And then I would invite you just to, in, in terms that we've explored today, how your mind becomes more disintegrated in the way that it does. And to what degree do you, ex, you know, find yourself moving out of a place of that acronym of FACES, flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable, and what sometimes you do to cope with those moments. What do I do to cope? What do I do to like dis, disconnect from that? What do I do to not pay attention to that? How do I, in response to that and coping with that, I kind of just bury it or practice my addictions or get overwhelmed by it or act out on it? What are the thing? What are the ways that I respond to this? And then, as we often do, we invite you to tell someone that you trust about your experience because what we're wanting to do is to have us have that practice 
of inviting a trustworthy person into our life so that we can be fully known, which is what we like to talk about here. What does it mean to be fully known, even in our trauma? Recognizing that the first step toward that healing is going to include the capacity of reintegration of new neural networks that necessarily requires my imagination being expanded by the presence of somebody else who can see things that I don't see. In the same way that when God comes in Jesus, Jesus sees things about us and about our traumas that we don't see. And as he told the Pharisees, it's not those who are well for whom the doctor has come. He's come for those who are sick. And, you know, Pep, like I'm sick. I got parts of me that are sick, parts of me that are ill parts of me where I got unfinished business. And I'm just so grateful that uh, in our relationship, um, there have been so many times when you've come for me. And uh, I, I can think of, you know, a couple of things in particular that were happening in real time in the time that we've known each other, mm-hmm. where trauma was the word that I would use. It was what, was, what I was in the middle of. And to, uh, you know, to feel your hand grabbing my forearm there's that line in uh, backdraft where at the crisis ending of the major fire where we're discovering everybody and Kurt Russell says to oh, I'm blanking on the actor's name Kurt Russell's character Kurt's the captain of this unit and the other guy had kind of set the uh, Scott Scott's his last name, I think. No, Scott's is for the other. He 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 was like so upset with the way the city was handling things and he he'd like, you know, set this he'd set up this arson situation. And uh Kurt Russell's character was not gonna let him go, and they have a phrase. Like if one of them's gonna be like they're not gonna let they're not gonna let their buddy go. And he's gonna like let me go, and Russell says, You go, I go. He's not going to let it happen. And I just, uh, you know, the times when I've felt that with you um, uh, is part of what enables us to have this conversation in the first place. That's awesome, Kurt. That's all I got to say. Yeah, (laughs) ditto. You know, um, I think it's amazing that it came from Kurt Russell. That's an interesting, uh, yeah. But no, that's, 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 that's it, man. That's it. Thank you for today. Hmm. And thank uh, you, brother. And and beyond. Love you. Hmm. Right on. Love you. Until next time. Till next time. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well. Be now.